0: Leading a team means supporting the growth of every individual's skills, knowledge, and experience, but you don't have to do it alone. With Ministry of Testing Pro Teams, you'll have a wealth of content and training to take advantage of, including access to online Test Bash events, weekly online 99-minute workshops, online courses, and all our previous Test Bash and Masterclass videos to watch, all of which you can track and manage through team learning history and pro license management. So invest in your team with discounts of up to 25% for multiple team licenses and go pro with Ministry of
1: Testing.
2: Welcome to Test Free Roulette, a podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected Test free Cards. I'm your host, Christoph Rehigingen. Let's start testing. Hello, and welcome to the Test Roulette. And today I have two awesome guests with me and I'll let them introduce themselves. First off, Gareth.
0: Hey, hey Christoph. Um, Yeah, fantastic to be here. Um, So yeah, I'm Gareth. I am a principal test engineer at ASOS. Uh, What that means really is that I help individuals and teams overcome testing challenges. Uh, That's through coaching, mentoring, and probably the most important one, actually doing testing Um, (laughs) Been in software development for around 14 years now, Uh, I looked this morning and yeah, I was quite surprised that it was that long. Um, And over that time, I've had the privilege of working with some amazing people, with some amazing tech, focusing on roles around testing, uh, focusing on roles around people. And most recently, I was actually an engineering manager, where my sole focus was on the growth and development of engineers, which uh, I'm sure you can imagine it can be tough. But at the same time, it's extremely rewarding. Um, But I'll be honest, I missed my first love, which was testing. And hence, I have now returned home, shall we say. I appreciate that. (laughs) Tell us a fact about yourself. A fun fact about myself: um, I am a Sunderland AFC season ticket holder. Uh, for those of them, know, Sunderland are a football club. There's a documentary on Netflix about them called Sunderland Till I Die. If you want to be thoroughly depressed at the end of it, I recommend <laughs> watching it. <laughs> uh,
2: nice. All right. Uh, and my other guest is Just
1: Want. Go for it. Hey, Christoph. Uh, hey, Grad. I'm I'm Jazz, and I'm from Melbourne. Um, I currently work for a company called CultureAmp, and I'm the staff uh, quality coach there. Uh, I've been there for almost a year now. Um, Previously, I've been working in a lot of consultancies, specializing in the mobile space. Um, I I started my career as a developer and then midway through, um, yeah, got too interested with testing and automation. And then since then, I've been an automation engineer and and been working in the quality space. um, And... Yeah, currently... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's how everyone says so. That's, that's, true. that's true. as well. Um, and yeah, so currently I'm working with, uh, with the legendary Anne Marie. Uh, she's heading the quality practice at, at Culture Ramp. And yeah, uh, very interesting to work. Um, it's a different change from what I used to do with mobile. It's now it's fully microservices and CQRs and Kafka and all the fun stuff. So it's been very interesting um, over the past year. Nice. Fun fact. So, fun fact, um, I'm going to include Gareth on this one as well. So, my first <laughs> Ministry of Testing article that I did, uh, Gareth was the um, editor or um, oh, no right. reviewer. So, yeah, I'm not sure if he remembers, but... <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, no, I apologize.
1: It's <laughs> so cool. good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. But, yeah. Uh, that's, that's fun fact for today. Anyway, nice to be here. Thanks.
2: Glad to have you both here. Let's dive straight into it. I'll spin the wheel. It will land on a random test sphere card. It will have a summary and some examples. Uh, I'll read it out loud. I'll do the examples afterwards if we get to a stopping point. Are you guys ready for me to spin the wheel? Yep. going for it. All right, spinning it now. It landed on a green card, a technique, risk analysis. I think this is gonna be good. On product level, what is the most important to the customer, business, and the project? What needs your utmost attention? Who wants to go first?
1: I'll take this one because the whole strategy of our um, H2 of 2022 is based on one is risk storming and the other one is unpacked. So it feels very close to home for this one. And shout out to my colleague, um, Catherine Beringer, who's been heading out this risk storming in this company for the past two years. So that's the first thing that hit me. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a very important thing for teams to, um, to kick off, especially when they start a new initiative and it's been very rewarding and every, just wherever I go with, with teams, um, we work from a quality foundations point of view. So we go and help every team uh, and coach them on on the specificities that they want us to work on. And yeah, so we've recommended risk storming as a thing that they do before kicking off any initiative. And yeah, as I said, the rewards has been uh, tremendous. Um, people are understanding what the value of it is and, and looking at it at various levels, not just the product, but also like even within the team, what risks are there, um, resource-wise and knowledge-wise? So it's been a very good, fun thing to do as part of um, the whole team, and, and teams have been really appreciative of this. So yeah, that's the first thing that popped in my mind. I'll pass it on to Gareth now.
2: <laughs> Cheers.
0: Now I think it's a for me it most. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say all testing is should be based on risk, right? Like I think um, <laughs> whether that's uncovering risk, whether that's kind of um, Talking about risk and then using that to kind of drive whatever testing we're doing. But I mean, risk is something that, that I talk about all the time, right? It's, it's, it's if I'm having a conversation with someone and someone says they want to do something or they're not sure about doing something, the question I'd ask, well, what's the worst that could happen, right? So it's very much, it's, it's just Dr. Pepper thing for, for people who have <laughs> I a mean, little jingle what's the worst that can happen uh that's something that makes them really think about okay so if i do this the worst that can happen is is this right it, inevitably it's never that bad but then when it comes to things like testing like if you're talking about risk like you can use that to drive out the, the highest priority tests that you want to run and like, i was working on a e-document management system which required performance testing from around like 60 different locations around the globe right and we were talking about okay what are the file sizes that that people are going to be using what are kind of we we ended up going all the way up to like 150 meg which i mean i don't know about yourselves but i I don't really have many documents that are that size however because it was an international law firm i think they had documents from Many, many, many years ago, I think in the in as time went on, the documents either just grew or they just yeah they became really big. Um, the great thing here is that when you talk about lawyers, I don't know if you know, but lawyers get paid a lot of money. Um, and if <laughs> we're uploading documents, and when we got to 150 meg, it was it was failing, right? They like couldn't handle that size of documents, um, and it was caused their, their their systems to hang um which regardless if they only have one document that's 150 meg if they try and edit that if they try and upload it causing their system to hang and if they have to take like 10 15 minutes to kind of get it all back that's going to cost a lot of money right however i think if if it came to the point that why it didn't hang the system or if they could carry on with their business chances are they didn't have many files of that size they weren't going to be using many files of that size Mm -hmm. You could argue, well, that's the risk that the business are willing to take, um, but it's very much down to the impact of that that risk. I think that determines whether or not it's something you can live with or not.
2: Yeah, and there will always be one that has like this huge. <laughs> <trial. laughs> you are talking to testers, like, right? That's exactly that's exactly, exactly what they're thinking, right? Indeed, indeed. Um, let me read one example from the card. Deadlines are often the terminal for testing. When there is a testing phase at the end. How do you prepare for such a small time slot? You look at the risk, right? Then
0: you, you <laughs> focus on the key risk. And this is something that we ask, uh, we have asked in interviews before, right? Like, especially like for, for mobile, right? You've got so many mobile devices You've got, like, that, that we can support. Um, so a good question that we ask, and I'm sure you won't mind me talking about it now, is like, okay, you, you're given an hour to test the app before it has to has to go live or whatever and the answers generally come around okay one of the highest priority devices right one of the kind of the key user journeys that people are going to be doing and really focus your testing on those high risk areas mm-hmm. uh, so i think when you've got a time frame like that risk is probably your number one driver in determining what testing you do yeah exactly
2: uh do you have anything to add just one
1: uh, I think I just want to add that when we do risk analysis, it's important to also have the data, go back to data, just like what Gareth mentioned, you need to understand like what's your actual, like, in terms of mobile as well, what's the most used mobile uh, in your customer base. So it's always fun to, uh, really useful to have that data in your hand when we do risk analysis. So um, yeah, that's something that I've seen people miss out on and just go on instinct sometimes. So it's always good to base on like analytics or observability if you have in your systems and use those um, stuff in there to actually analyze your risk there. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's nice. Um, You guys want to move to a new cart? Sure. Let's do it. All right. I'm spinning the wheel again. a purple card, a feelings card, curious. Positive feeling. Something unknown has caught your eye and you can't help but investigate. And I'm looking at these uh, examples here and number two is definitely one of my favorites. I'm going to read that one already. Many testing adventures started out with a tester thinking, what happens if I do this? I, I bet there's some juicy stories coming up now. <laughs> um, Garrett, do you want to take this one first?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, it, the first thing that probably comes to mind, and maybe it's not the best story that I have, but it's, 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 it's the first thing that came to mind was when I was um, doing some exploratory testing in, in my kind of personal development time that we get. Um, and I was looking at a competitor called Zalando um and really? it was all around kind of looking at well one i get to learn about my um competitor like i work at Asos, and e-commerce site. and and very much an e-commerce site as well um two i get to sharpen my exploratory testing skills um so i thought well this is a win-win situation right so i <laughs> went on and started looking at the Zelando product page using like fiddler and using chrome, chrome dev tools and stuff to really learn more about the Zalando product page, um, and it was quite broad, like charter. It was really just to learn more about the product page and how I have a very clear idea about how ASOS handle product page, handle stock reservations and things like that. What I wasn't sure about was how our competitors do, right? So I'd go into Zalando, um, look at Fiddler and start looking at the network traffic. And like you start noticing all these API calls and you start thinking, well, what happens if I change this API call? What happens if I change that API call? Um, and kind of what it ended up being was that as I was adding stuff to the bag and changing quantities and stuff, I ended up finding a couple of bugs as well around kind of the messages that were displayed and how stock was reserved. And what was really cool was I got to share this with the uh, Zalando, I can't remember if it was a CTO or something. I shared it with him on Twitter and yeah, it got added to their backlog. And I think what's nice is that Zalando obviously got something out of it. I got something out of it. And it was like, we started building that relationship as well. And wouldn't it just be great if more people just decided, you know, well, I'm going to do some exploratory testing on this site just to just to sharpen my own skills? Um, I think mm-hmm. there was someone did start doing a YouTube series around it. We can't remember the name, um, but yeah, um, just doing things like that. And I have recorded one recently, but it's just about having that kind of confidence to put it out there, I guess, and kind of share it with with the wider public. But um, but yeah. Um, that is 100% a tester's mindset. What would happen if? Like that, that curiosity. And they say curiosity killed the cat. I say curiosity grew a
2: tester. Like, it
1: was- <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Nice>. <laughs> Any juicy stories, yes, um,
1: so I used to work for uh, a taxi booking company. And that I used to be a developer. That's how I started my career, being a mobile developer there. And sometimes we go on like, before releases, we would do like real world testing. So we'd actually hop in a taxi and, and do a booking and then take us through, make sure the map and everything works fine. The car ch- the car actually turns when the actual car actually ch- turns and all that stuff. And yeah, we usually try like, hmm, what happens if I stop the car or book another trip on top of the existing trip? And yeah, there are some like really important stuff that happens when you're on a trip because people don't usually, um, concentrate on something when it's actually progressing. So people either test the start or the end. Uh, there's a lot of like exploratory stuff that we missed out when we were trying to do something as something was in progress. So the that was a very fun thing that we got to do um, all because we were just curious and okay, what, what happens if we just try this one while we're on the trip? Um, yeah. So because it's also like real world, um, it's like going on a, or um, <laughs> on a, on a, on a um, yeah ride, a, a fun ride or something, and sometimes we would just like summon three taxis at once. Don't know which one to get into, so there's a few stories around like mm-hmm. people getting mad as it's just for calling them in and not having a ride for them. <laughs> so yeah, I think curiosity, as as Gareth said, it's it's kind of like the core core feature of any tester. I think that's what we we best do, I guess. Um, I sense like, ends, ends it,
0: with something fun, yeah, but I guess like being curious isn't just around the testing that you do right it's about all the activities surrounding it like you're talking to a developer you're being curious about what they're doing, so you're asking the questions like, oh, why are you doing this what, what, what are you, yeah. why are you doing it this way and just by ha- just by asking those types of questions you you learn a lot more around the application you start building that relationship with with that developer um and i I remember I was talking to a developer many, many years ago now, and we were looking at a SQL database and I was asking questions and like he was, oh, you know SQL? I think he was genuinely surprised that a tester would know SQL. Um, really? So
2: like,
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a few years ago to be fair, but he was, ah, oh, it was almost like the fact that he knew I could do that probably strengthened our relationship as, as a result of that. Um, what that says about his opinion of testers is probably, uh, <laughs> it's probably a whole different story but i think just having that kind of conversation and being curious kind of can help you build strong relationships with with anyone really
2: yeah exactly
1: hmm. i want to um, double also add add that what gareth mentioned about curiosity is what gives you questions and and that's the you know important part of testing right like you ask questions ask the right questions even the dumb questions whatever it is it comes from that curiosity i guess
2: yeah exactly everything needs to be clear before you actually can do yeah. something um, there's another summary on here, another example. You found new tools to automate parts of your activities. Now you are eager to try them and find out how they can be useful. So let's say, how often do you do this? How often do you find new tools and like, how often do you start adapting a new tool over the ones you currently have?
0: It's been a while for me, I'll be honest. Um, but I think we we have to be careful. Like there are there are hundreds of shiny new tools mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. but, but we have to be clear about what problem they are solving. And I see, I see all too often people adopting shiny new tools just for the sake of adopting a shiny new tool, and it's not really yeah. solving a problem. It's not really doing anything different than the existing tool or framework does. Um, so for instance, in one of our web teams, we're looking at, uh, well, we are kind of migrating to Playwright, but I think that, that that brings us some core benefits, and we've done a very clear. These are the benefits we'll get from Playwright, and that's, that, this is why we are moving towards it. Um, so I think we have to be clear when we do find Shiny new Tools, what problems they're solving, what are the benefits of that, and is it worth the investment as well? And I know that probably sounds really kind of boring, but at the same time, <laughs> we have to be mindful of that as well
2: yeah it's a process you actually have to do because it can be like a new tool. everybody's hyped about it uh but it might not be for you
1: mm. yeah yeah I think um the video that that's um Steve Jobs talked about about always technology is always always gonna be shiny, and um you can't fit technology into solving a problem. you need to find the problem first, and that's how you grow a product, and that's a really good video that to watch as well so um yeah i think as part of um new tooling sometimes i feel like how do we use the current tooling that people are very used to uh, to solve different problems because adding another tool just adds to complexity so that's something that we're looking at as well um so for one fun example yeah exactly and just if we think about 25 teams that we're currently dealing with and just implementing it itself is like a year long process sometimes right so it's, it's not worth that uh, unless there's a very competitive um, uh, thing in there. Uh, one thing that ca- comes to my mind is like we recently started using K6 as a tool to um, do a performance testing. It's been great it's ex- mm-hmm. experience with it. But suddenly I had to um, solve some complex problems around, OK, we've done a lot of API testing uh, with using REST APIs. But mm-hmm. now that, you know, the whole vision is around like going into more asynchronous API testing. So there are like Kafka. So that's what a whole like tech vision is based on. Um, We are fully into something called CQRS, which is uh, more event sourcing stuff. So everything becomes asynchronous. So I have to change my whole thinking around, okay, it's not synchronous anymore. How do you solve like an asynchronous problem? And that's been my, my challenge for the past few weeks. And one of the things that, it might be hacky, but something that I came across and I, it, it, it made sense is that we could potentially reuse the K6 tool to do asynchronous testing by just doing parallel users. So you just create more asynchronous processes, more multi-threads kind of, and you do testing using that. So what I'm trying to get to is where you can use a similar tool, but to solve a different purpose and it just takes the, um, a lot of benefits out of it because you, you know, you, you're using the same tool, less learning curve, as I said, so yeah i think tooling is always fun um sometimes you need to manage that as gal was talking about it's um, yeah. a double sword for sure
0: and i love that question what problem are you trying to solve my, my yeah. friend yeah. Pete always asks that and like you'd be that that works on so many levels like right? works in you <laughs> know in a, in, a, in a sprint planning meeting where you're kind of going down one path and you end up kind of so many miles away from what the original problem is just by asking that question brings everyone back in to so kind of, okay, we yeah. just do the yeah. simplest thing for this
2: problem.
1: Yeah. But it, it's, there's no one to blame as well. Like it's more interesting when the new tool yeah. comes out. So it's always exciting to try something out new for sure. But again, yeah, so it's a very valid question and you, that brings us to the ground and think things straightly. All
2: right. Um, time for a new cart? Sure. sure. All right. Spinning the wheel again. Here we go. It's a orange card patterns log digging approach. Like treasure maps, logs hold locations to the most valuable treasures. You'll be looking for abnormal abnormalities, weird values, errors, messages, or peaks. Do you guys have any experience with uh, log digging?
1: Um, I've been spending a. Uh... A lot of time learning about observability. I think that's what comes to my mind. I know it's not the same as logging, but um, we, yeah, it's been a big thing that uh, we're going to be doubling down on. So I've been learning a lot about it from Abby Banks' course on TAU and um, yeah, and a lot of other stuff. So yeah, I think that's what comes to my mind. Like, how do you use data to to analyze and see how you how you solve your problems? And it's a it's a very interesting topic that I jumped into, but so it's, it's a lot of learning curve for sure. But that's the first thing that came to my mind when something related to logs and data.
2: All right, um, we can skip this card. Uh, I, I guess let's let's try another card. Sure. Spinning the wheel yeah. <laughs> It's a light blue card, a quality aspect, called clarity. Usability aspect. Every function, icon, name, or term is ideally immediately clear to the user. Uh, I guess that kind of speaks for itself. But do you have any negative or positive experiences with it?
1: This is a great one, because Currently, for us, the users are the developers because, as I said, we are working in the foundations team, and our whole motto is to try to help developers uh, do better testing and, and coaching them. So, over the years, it's all been thinking about okay, how does a user use something, and now we have to shift the change about how does an engineer thinks about testing and what does it mean for them and how the, how it uh, how to make things simple, and clarity is something that's so so much important because. Especially in the in the tech stuff, you can just point to one thing, and they can mean so many other stuff for people. And I've been trying to make it so much clearer because a lot of because you're serving twenty five teams, it's hard to just go and explain everything, you know, directly. So a lot of things that we had to do was to do to write better documentation and and be more clarity uh, oriented. Um, yeah, so I, I can think of a couple of instances where you just like write something that you feel like it's more clear but it just has a different meaning when someone else with a different perspective looks at it. So yeah, it's a very fun challenge. Uh, it applies to every user type, either it's internal, external. Um, for example, not with, especially with testing, when you come up with test reports, um, it has to be clear on what you're trying to communicate because most of the stakeholders are not technical and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a very it's a very fun one to fun to deal with. True. Sure. Do you have anything to add, Garrett?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's, it brings me back to memories I, when, when I was writing like UI automation when I first started doing it, and it was the user Selenium, I was using Selenium, WebDriver driver trying to find elements by a whole heap of different kind of locators, so, like we were using ID, CSS. Um, my preference was always ID and then name, um, but every time we had a new kind of build or, or release... I'd find like IDs or names might change, um, and that was purely because I was working very much in isolation from from the from the rest of the team. Um, so what that really highlighted, obviously, was well, we need to work closer together with the developers, so they know kind of what we are doing, how we're doing it, and kind of what what the elements are, and kind of just making them mindful of how our automation works is that if we're going to be changing IDs and names and then that's going to cause a massive headache. Um, so I think it just encourages you to, to work closer together. Um, it encourages, the, uh, encourages people to use um, logical names when, when creating variables, when creating elements and things like that um, so that I can read some code and I can see exactly what it is doing. I can see, okay, get rid of things like Var X and things like that because that does not tell me anything. I very much believe that if I'm reading code, it should be almost like reading a story, right? I should be able to go through it and see exactly what's happening. It's almost like a, a, a variable should be like a character in that story and it should should have a name as such and should tell me exactly what that variable does and what it is there for. Um, I think it just, yeah, it makes, makes it a lot easier for someone else to come in and st- if they need to start working on a piece of code, they know exactly what. And it just increases kind of productivity, increases how quick people can pick things up. So yeah, I think so. It's a win-win, really. It it sounds logical, but you'd be surprised how many people don't don't do it.
2: (laughs) That's true. That's true. Um, Let me read one example from this card. Take a good look at the first screen you see when you log in. How easy is it for a novice user to find their way around? I guess that's. uh, a very important aspect because people always say, like, hmm. when you open a web page, it takes three seconds for a user to see if they like it or not, and then uh, they'll move out or they'll continue. Right. And uh, I mean, have you had any bad experience or good experience with it? I think
0: we're at a point now where pretty much every site has a set structure. You've got like a search bar at the top. Right, like if I don't see a search bar at the top, I'm going to assume there's no way for me to search. There'll be a little hamburger <laughs> kind of in, in the top left, maybe um, or top right. So you kind of you've got these kind of um, beliefs of where you you feel things should be, and if they're not there, it becomes very frustrating. And it's a shame because it almost kills um, it kills kind of innovation to a degree because people are scared to kind of do things differently because if a user experiences something that they're not particularly familiar with they may go somewhere else i think it's it's a very fine balance between okay you want to be innovative and kind of start doing new things and because because good things will come out of it um you you might fail sometimes but when you're doing innovative things good things will come out of it but at the same time you want to keep kind of keep things flowing and keep people people's expectations at a certain level that they can with your site they can do things almost intuitively and i think there is a balance i think it's very very difficult finding that balance and you'll see it in everything these days i think we're very much losing um creative design like simple things like even like door handles they're all very much the same like bollards in the street they're very plain minimalistic um, and you're losing kind of the the creativeness from many many years ago when you look at like even like street lights from 50 60 years ago they're a lot more kind of creative than they are now uh that is it's a shame um but obviously, there's reasons behind it, I guess, which we won't go into as part of this.
2: Probably one of the main reasons being budget. <laughs> <laughs> budget yes. Oh, what I hate about like some UIs is like it depends where you live. So for example, when a website is made in uh, America or in Europe or in Asia, like the Save buttons and the Cancel buttons. At some point, the Save button is left <laughs> and the Cancel button is right or reverse or at the top right. Uh, at yeah, I just yeah
1: yeah.
0: It's, it's like when you're when you're on a site and you don't know what one. Like if I'm on if I'm looking on the TV um, at some um, application, I'm not sure what one's highlighted and what one's not highlighted. So I actually have to click one to see what one is highlighted if it's the first yeah. time using it. And then it could either exit me from the app or it could take me into into the app. I think it's not always clear what is highlighted as well, which is a little bit of frustrating.
1: True. Yeah. Just yeah, like looking from a, Yeah, looking from a testing perspective, that something that comes to my mind is like the different personas that you need to have to actually look at this kind of stuff because you've looked at a screen for like say a thousand times. It might not be like looking at it as a novice user anymore. So you need to testers need to have that ability to context switch and think from a different shoes. Sometimes like in, in our platform, there are like eight or nine personas. So you need to think at it from a different person which is a very um, important thing to do and a lot of people struggle with. And yeah, it's a very underrated skill, I feel like. But uh, yeah, yeah, and that that also drives that clarity around, okay, which user should act as which persona and what should they be looking at?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that's where having diverse teams is like invaluable as well. You've got people yeah. from diverse backgrounds from different locations or whatever it may be and having them think, okay, that, that, that's not right for me. Um,
1: yeah
0: can only be a good thing, right? If you've got everyone the same, everyone's the same in the same team, you're not gonna have that diverse train of thought for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. Even just like what Christoph mentioned about different regions and having the different traits here for sure.
2: All right, I think that's a wrap up guys. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, It's glad to have you on this podcast. How do people contact you? Do you have any books, blogs, socials to to share? do it now,
0: go for it. Uh, Garrett? Cool, yeah. So I'm on Twitter, uh, Gwaterhouse85. And I've, well, I only the no, past few months created my own site, which is uh, www.garethwaterhouse, uh, which is quite a nice little domain name. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, waterhouse was taken. Otherwise, I'd have got that.
1: Really? Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fun. Uh, Jasmine? Uh, yeah, more active on LinkedIn for this kind of stuff. Uh, Jeshwan Manigandan is what yeah, you need to search for, but I also have a small blog on, on jeshwan.xyz. Um, but yeah, the, uh, feel free to contact and I'll always find interesting chats happening there. So looking forward to some chats there.
2: All right. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being here, guys. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in on the Test Lab podcast. And see you guys next time for a game of Test Roulette. Thank you to the guests and thank you for listening. For more information about Test check out RestormingOnline.com or buy the card tech from the Ministry of Testing store. Music at the courtesy of sepsplat.com. We'll see you for more roulette again soon.